I've got a really important question I want you to reflect on. What do you think about when I ask you to think about God? What comes to your mind? More specifically, if God was looking down at your life, what do you imagine his facial expression would be like? I know for me it would be something like this. Not a very happy look, but I just, seriously, I just have trouble imagining him anything other than, ow, you just keep messing up. Going a little further, how do you see your relationship with God? How, how do you see the interaction occurring with him? Maybe like some people, you think, you know, when I'm reading my Bible and coming to church, everything's going good in my life, and, and when I stop, you know, things start falling apart. Well, if you think that way, then probably this kind of picture symbolizes your relationship with God. You know, the, the naughty or nice. You know, when I'm being nice, I get all the nice presents. When I'm being naughty, I get the lump of coal, right? So what we're really, really getting at is the character of God. And A.W. Tozer, a famous theologian, once said, what a person thinks about when they think about God is the most important thing to know about them. And I'm not sure I think it, believe it's the most important, but I, I do believe it's critical. And I saw that in my own life. And many of you know my story, but I like to give portions of it to, to illustrate my journey and what has gone on in my journey. And so at about the age of 12 or 13, I asked my dad if there was a God. And he just looked at me and said, no. And honestly, looking back now, I don't really remember exactly what I was thinking, but the way my life played out, I think I know what must have gone through my mind. What must have gone through my mind is, well, if the gods of this world are, excuse me, if the God of heaven is not really there, then the gods of this world must be the ones that are going to satisfy me. And so I pursued the gods of this world with a gusto. I indulged in materialism and, and money and, and sex and, and things that, that, you know, drugs and alcohol and all the various things the world says are going to make you happy. And because I was a successful attorney, living in one of the richest neighborhoods in Houston, driving the most expensive cars, married to a beautiful woman, and, and very sadly, very regrettably, with other women friends, the world would say, wow, th these are all the things that are going to satisfy him. But I was empty inside. I was broken. I was cynical. I was depressed. I was lonely. I was angry. I was bitter. The gods of this world simply were not working, but I was not willing to even explore whether or not Christianity had any basis because I had that view of the angry God as what God was like. Who would want that? That's only going to make me more miserable. And then a miracle happened. I told Jane I was going to divorce her, and she went back to her faith, her Christian faith, and, and I had a meeting with her, and I saw a joy and a contentment on her that I had never seen before. And that was motivation enough for me to finally explore the truth of the Christian faith despite my image of God. 
And so I know full well how critical it is what you think of God, what anybody out there thinks of the character of God, because it can profoundly affect even whether or not you're willing to give him a hearing. And so today, we're going to talk about the character of God as it is displayed and demonstrated in the book of Hosea. So let's get started. I'm just going to say a brief prayer. Father, please, the most important person to be here is you. Only you can affect the changes in people's lives that we all long for. And so, Father, please, please, Father, would you speak and let me get out of the way so that your words and your truth will accomplish what you desire in the lives and hearts of my friends. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're in the third week of our series called Boundless, the Relentless Love of God. And this is our series in Hosea, as Heather just told us. And this week, we're looking at the character of God. You see, I believe, and the reason we call this the boundless, the relentless love of God is I believe that is the primary theme. As God reveals himself to us, we see his boundless, relentless love of God. But I think right behind it is the theme of his character. What Hosea, the book of Hosea, reveals about God's character. And you, I think you all know the framework by now, how this book came into being. God speaks to this prophet Hosea, this godly man, this revered man in Israel. And he says, Hosea, I want you to go marry this prostitute named Gomer. And this would have been shocking. One of the most godly, revered men in the whole nation. And he's supposed to go marry a prostitute. And he obeys. And he brings her into his house and loves her with an unconditional love. She stays a while, then she goes back to being a prostitute. And he goes and he gets her again and brings her back, and loves her again. And this, we don't know how many times this happens, because the, the book of Hosea isn't really chronological. It doesn't detail every single time. But we know this happened on numerous occasions. And the question becomes, who would do something like that? Besides showing the boundless love of God, this says something about his character. He says to Hosea, I want you to write this down and to proclaim this in Israel because I want everybody to know, Hosea, you represent me. I am that faithful husband. And the people of Israel and all of us, the people of God, we are the unfaithful Gomer. And it's just mind-blowing that God would reveal his character in this way. And so we're going to look at the character of God. And, and because it's so critical, because it's so important, my goal, my goal today, my overarching goal, is that you leave here today with a better understanding of God. That's what I'm hoping for today. You leave here with a better understanding. And toward that end, I have just two points in my message, and I think we have those here today. The two points of my message are, number one, God is not looking for anything from us. That was mind-blowing when I first began to understand that as a new Christian. And the second is, 
God desires to give us a richer and more abundant life than we can imagine. Those are my two points today. We're going to start by reading chapter 3 of Hosea. It's a short chapter. It's only five verses. And so we're going to start with the word of God. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in the house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince, without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. And so our first point, that God is not looking for anything from us. Where do I get that? And I get it from the end of verse 3, where it says he's brought Gomer back into his house. He's saying, during this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. Now, you need to reflect on that, the significance of that. God created marriage for this beautiful, beautiful oneness, this intimacy, not only of our souls and our minds, but also of our bodies. And part of what God ordained for marriage right from the garden, he says, go, be fruitful and multiply. He, he invented marital intimacy. And so Gomer has been taking this, which rightfully belongs to Hosea, and going and giving it to any man who will give her some money. This physical intimacy that belongs only to Hosea. And you would think, I would think certainly, that when he goes and rescues her and brings her back into the house, he would say, Gomer, this is something that rightfully belongs to me. And you've been giving it to all these other men, and I love you, and I want to experience that now with you. But I think Hosea understood something. If he brought her back in and then requested intimacy, then I think he realized that Gomer would see that as, oh, he's just another guy, that's all he wants. And so he says specifically, you're going to stay here. I'm just going to love you. I'm not asking for anything from you. And remember, this is the very character of God. He's not looking for anything from us. So what this really puts before us, the question that's now on the table is, well, why did God create us? And when I first became a Christian at the age of 37, after years of atheism, this was a question I wrestled with. I needed to know. I needed to understand. And, and I would reflect on it. I said, well, maybe, you know, God's just on this power trip, right? He's this powerful being, obviously, he created the universe. Maybe he just enjoys being in control. And so he created us for this power trip of ordering us around. That was one of the thoughts that went through my mind. Second thing that went through my mind is, you know, well, Maybe he was just lonely. (laughs) 
Maybe he just wanted companionship, so he created us for that, you know, kind of the lonely nerd hypothesis, okay? Uh, and, and then I thought, well, no, maybe he's this egomaniac. He just loves being worshipped, so he created us to worship him. To, oh, you're so wonderful. What didn't really dawn on me for a while is, well, I have the very revelation of God in his Bible. Maybe I should go there and see what he says about why he created us. Before we get to that, i got a little video I want to show you. It's of the cutest little girl on the planet Earth. Just happens to be my granddaughter. This was a video that was shot at the... San Antonio Rodeo, Jan took it after buying Amelia her first pair of cowboy boots. So her first attempt to walk in cowboy boots. <laughs> now that has nothing to do with it. No, there's actually, there's actually a point here. There's actually a point here. Amelia is 14 months old. You know what she can do on her own? Zero. <laughs> Nothing. Poop in her diaper. That's about it. The number of hours that my beautiful daughter has poured into Amelia, has invested in Amelia, is mind-boggling. And, and that doesn't even include the number of hours her husband Michael has poured into Amelia, the number of hours Jan and I have invested in Amelia. Just to get her to 14 months old, she can do nothing on her own. She can't feed herself. She can't clean herself. She can't do anything. What kind of investment is that? If you've got any business background, you may be familiar with a concept called ROI. Anybody know what ROI is? Return on investment. So what corporations do when they have money, they have to decide where to invest that. So maybe they have a million dollars. Should we invest it in this you know, company that we could purchase? And they do the analysis. Well, the return on investment might be 20%, or let's invest it over here. It might be 15%. And what they do, ultimately, is they choose the investment that will give them the best ROI. You know what the ROI is on a kid? Like <laughs> negative 11 billion percent. <laughs> Who here has kids? Who has kids? Me too. What were we thinking? <laughs> We are obviously not the brightest lights on the porch. We're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, right? You know, I'm making fun because it is an incredible blessing from God to have kids. But you pour all this into, him, into them, and you really get nothing in return. And then one day, and this is years ago, I was reading Psychology Today. I was saying, we wanted to find out why, in the face of everything I've just said, why do people continue to have children? Why don't we just become zero population? And the answer was, as they studied this, is that people get incredible satisfaction out of just loving children unconditionally. Just the, the act of unconditionally pouring out your love on your child without any hopes of return is incredibly satisfying and rich and meaningful to them. And I began to reflect on that. And then one day I was reading through Ephesians. And I came across these verses, and they changed my life. And we have them here, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And here's why. In order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Folks, the God of the universe is not looking for anything from you. The God of the universe, 1 John tells us, is love. Love wants to be poured out. Love wants to be bestowed on someone and something. And the God of the universe has told us why he created us. Because his desire, since his very nature is love, what he enjoys is having objects of love to pour it out on. And so for eternity, our job description is going to be to be in heaven while the Father, the creator of the universe, pours out his unconditional love and grace upon us. Is anybody here fired up about that? I know I am. And so that's why God created us. And and it's so important. That's why I started with my goal is that you understand the, the character of God better because if you don't understand that, you won't trust God and you won't try to have a relationship with him. So that's our first point. The second point we're going to talk about is God desires us to have a more satisfying life than we can ever imagine, rich and satisfying life. And I get this from the final verse, verse 5, where Hosea writes, In the last days, they will tremble in awe at the love of God and of his goodness. So the first thing you need to understand is this. It's actually a very technical term, the last days. The last days began when Jesus walked the earth. And so the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says, In the past, God spoke to us, Excuse me, in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, he's speaking through, to us through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came to the earth, from that point on, we were in the last days. God, Jesus could come back any time. And so what happened when Jesus came to earth? Why did that usher in the last days? Because he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He reconciled us to, to God. He, he died. He was resurrected and defeated death. And he created an avenue for us to have a relationship with our Father. All we have to do is put our faith in what Jesus has done for us, and our relationship is reestablished with our Father. And then, like Hosea says, in those last days, people will tremble in awe at God's goodness. God's goodness. That's what we're going to be doing. That's what I'm doing now as I reflect on this. And this was so important for me to understand. Because as I was reading the scripture, I kept coming across verses like Jesus saying, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's like, wow, that's, that's why you've come? And, and all these sort of verses that promise that if you come to God, you'll feel joy and satisfaction. And that was incredibly significant to me because since I can remember... I was a hedonist. As far back as I can remember, I had a longing to know more about beauty and experience beauty. I had a longing to experience unconditional love from people. I had the longing to experience pleasure. I had a longing to experience wisdom. And I chased the things of the world. And all those things, by the way, you know, wonderful, beautiful possessions, the, the pleasure of intimacy with, with your spouse, great food, great good wine, those are all gifts of God. But 
They make lousy gods. They're only a pointer to the true God. And so my whole first 37 years, I was looking to those to ultimately satisfy me. But God has designed each and every one of us for a greater purpose. That longing will never be satisfied by things of this world. Those things that he gives us, the food and the wine and the beauty and the wisdom, they're only pointers to his infinite beauty, his infinite wisdom, his infinite pleasure. Psalm 1611, you know, I will fill you with joy in my presence, eternal pleasure at my right hand. Folks, sign me up for eternal pleasure, okay? I'll, tell, I'll just say that right now. And so we are designed for that. And unfortunately, for so many years, I chased the things of the world, and they could never satisfy me. This weekend, I was... Uh, at a, or this week, I was at a retreat, a uh, board of directors retreat. We make Christian films. And one of the board members is actually also on the board of a uh, uh, ministry called Trafficking Hope. They rescue women from the sex industry. He says, these women are so broken. Most of them have been abused as, as kids. And they are so broken and so confused that at some point... Their self-worth gets so low, they begin to think, well, well, if that guy will pay money to be with me, I, I must be worth something. And they, chasing this sick attempt at affirmation, were the same really as you or me, chasing satisfaction from the false gods of this world where we would lay down before these false gods and expect them to satisfy us. It's not possible. It will never happen. But God promises some amazing things. Isaiah 55, a chapter that I truly love. And it starts like this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and you will delight in the richest of fare. God desires to satisfy you with the richest affair. And it's the same thing in Psalm 36. David had the same experience as Isaiah, and he wrote this in Psalm 36, 7 and 8. He says, how priceless is your unfailing love. God's unfailing love is worth more than anything on this earth. How priceless is your unfailing love. People seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. They will feast on the abundance of your house. You will give them drink from your river of delight. I long to drink from God's river of delight. And that is available right now, folks. It'll be available more fully, obviously, when we get to heaven. But that is available right now. Why aren't people experiencing that more? And I'll have one, one last analogy. Um, you know, my daughter... Uh, she was a picky eater, to say the least. Very frustrating for Jan. Until she was like 14, all she would eat were like hot dogs and Kraft macaroni and cheese. Not the good mac and cheese, but the, you know, that disgusting orange powder. That's like all she would eat until she was like 14, okay? Well, through encouragement and her own courage in trying things, now one of the things we enjoy to do as father and daughter is we go on father-daughter dates and we try different restaurants. Well, recently we went to Sutherly's, and this is what she ordered right here. And they looked disgusting. Those, anybody know what those are? 
fried snapper throats. Yeah, it's like, really, you're ordering that? The little girl who wouldn't eat anything besides mac and cheese? And, you know, we've eaten escargot. We've eaten so many things together. And what has happened? She's developed the palate that allows her to, to, to experience the richness of the variety of food available. And I think what's happened to American Christians is we've gotten so addicted to mac and cheese and hot dogs, you know, social media, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, movies, television. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. There really isn't. But if you don't make an effort to develop your palate and experience the wonder of God's richness and delight, you'll never experience it. And so over 30 years, I've spent time in God's Word almost every day. I'm always connected to a community because I see the richness and delight of God in the people of the community. Over and over, these are the kinds of things that will allow you to experience that river of delight, the satisfaction of your soul. As I was talking to that friend about the trafficking hope ministry. He said one of the saddest things is that sometimes these girls, they've rescued them, tried to help them get other jobs, uh, tried to help them establish a life. And he said a certain percentage of them go back into that industry. And I said, what do you think that is? He said, well, I think the main thing is they haven't really experienced a new life. They haven't been basically rescued by God. They haven't put their faith in Jesus. And as I reflected on that, I realized that I had been dead. And so many of these girls feel dead inside. But you know, there's one God who can bring us back to life. And that is the God of the universe. And this is such an important concept, that God loves you, and he can resuscitate you and bring you back to life. I ran across a video of a woman named Ativa Crocker. And like a lot of these girls, she was sexually abused at a very young age by her dad. She got to her teen year. She was in the heavy into alcohol to numb the pain, and she started sleeping around. Had two abortions. Got pregnant a third time at 18. She was about to have another abortion. Her boyfriend talked her into not having the abortion, so she had the baby, and then the boyfriend left her. She spiraled deeper into alcoholism. Couldn't support herself, and her friend said, well, you're sleeping around. Why not charge for it? At least, you know, then you get something out of it. And she said, okay. And she got into the sex industry. And her son had a speech impediment, you know, stuff like he'd call the preacher meacher. He, he couldn't say his words quite correctly. So she had to pay for that. And so she was making a lot of money. And then one day, she came to the end of her rope as she spiraled into alcoholism. And I'll let her tell you the rest of the story. And after the man was finished, got up, and I put my clothes on, and I left. And I just knew something about that time was different, it wasn't right, it was dirty. The next day, Atiba was driving with her son when she heard him say, Mommy, I want to be a meacher. And at that point, I remember thinking in my head, how can I teach my son how to be a meacher? I'm a prostitute. He wanted to know about a God that I didn't know anything about. That night, Atiba made the decision to go to church. 
There, she began to learn about a loving God who could totally set her free. He was talking about how Lazarus was dead and how this man, Jesus Christ, came and rose him and brought him alive again. And I remember thinking, I know that I'm not in a coffin and I know that I'm not dead like Lazarus actually was dead, but something in me is dead emotionally, spiritually. And I connected with Lazarus that day. Atiba made her way to the front of the church. This man put his hand on my shoulder. He said, stop, I'll pray with you. He said, you want to pray? I said, yes, I want what Lazarus had. I want to come alive. And he prayed with me. And then something happened on the inside of my heart. And it touched me. And I was no longer dead. And I was alive and I could see all the pain and I could feel all the hurt and all the past things that happened. I could feel. And I just remember falling on my knees and just crying. It was so many years of pain bottled up on the inside that it was like a volcano that just erupted. And I made a decision that day to serve Jesus Christ, to serve this man that brought me alive, to serve this man that helped me to feel, feel something that I had never felt before. Amen. She put her life back together. She's now married with four kids. She's now a college professor. But what strikes me is, even as a Christian, I felt times where I just felt dead inside. I know I wasn't because I'm born again, alive in Christ, but, but I felt that way. So if you're here today, if you've never trusted Christ, and you just feel that deadness, what? Why not cry out to Jesus the way she did? If you're a Christian and and you're, you're experiencing just kind of a dead period, just go to him. Go to the Father who will give you drink from his river of delights. And I promise you, as you get to know the character of God, it will be one of the greatest experiences you've ever had. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this time. I remember when you raised me from the dead and how that felt. And there's been many times since where I felt I was about to take take my last breath and you raised me up and gave me strength again. Father, the the greatest experience I've ever had on this earth is drinking from your river delights and feasting on the abundance of your house. And my prayer, my friends here at Rock Hills, is they'll take the time and the effort to develop their palate, to to taste of you, as as your word says, taste of you and see that you are good. And I pray this in Jesus' name.